Hello, hello! Welcome back to the Feel Good Factor. I'm Susmita Vigunasaurus, and I'm so glad you could join me here today. Hey, everyone! I have uh, Catherine Ely here on the show today. Catherine has a podcast called Imperfect Thriving, and I've been listening to it and. you know it covers a lot of interesting people it covers a lot of interesting uh, topics but the primary thing the most the biggest thing that she focuses on is about how perfection can get in the way of people's happiness how people being obsessed with perfection can uh, do that and i thought you know it would be quite inspiring to listen to her story and her thoughts on this and i was hoping it would uh, really help all of you katrin lives in the US and uh, she used to be a lawyer and then she quit that to be a nationally certified counselor and she helps a lot of people with their lives so yeah looking forward to hearing her story hey katherine hey susmita thank you so much for having me on your show today i'm honored to be here thanks i'm so glad you made the time to be here can you tell everyone a bit about yourself Yes. So, I went back to school at age 46 to obtain a master's in clinical mental health. And I was nearing the end of my full-time 3-year program. I was at home one Sunday afternoon cooking for the week and I decided to scroll through my email. And I scrolled and I scrolled and I saw an email from the professor that was managing the clinic that I was working in for my internship. And when I saw his email, my heart stopped and I had to sit down. The email said that I was going to have to give a big presentation in front of an auditorium full of educators. Now, this was before my podcast. This was, you know, this was several years ago, and my biggest fear in the world was speaking to a group of people. So, after I sat there for a moment, my brain kept telling me you can't do that you can't do that you're just going to have to quit and so i had been applying acceptance commitment therapy to myself for my newly realized anxiety throughout this program so i sat down i got in touch with my values what was important to me which was helping other people with anxiety and i said okay I have to do this no matter what my brain is telling me I have to do this. So 2 days later I'm walking down the auditorium aisle and my palms are sweating and my heart is beating out of my chest and I walk up onto the stage into the spotlight in front of the microphone and something in my mind amazing happened. I opened my mouth and words came out. I didn't spontaneously combust. I didn't blow up. I didn't wither and die. I was actually giving a speech in front of all of those people. And afterwards, I thought, what else has my brain been telling me that wasn't true? My brain had been telling me my whole life, I'm not enough. I can't do that. I'm not interesting enough. I don't have enough personality. and that's when i really started digging into why and i discovered that it was because of my perfectionism 
So at that point, I not only wanted to be a counselor specializing in anxiety, but I really wanted to dig down deeper into perfectionism and how it limits us, how it affects our happiness and our lives in general. Hmm. And it really does. And this is something that, you know, it, it's not just about affecting our happiness and, you know, the causing the anxiety. In many cases, I also feel like it makes you procrastinate and delay doing things. <laughs> you know, even if you're not afraid to do them, just because it's not perfect, you're like, oh, no, I have to make it perfect. So it's going to take forever to do it. And then you end up uh, delaying things, right? It totally does. I have so many clients come into my office who say, I'm lazy. I just can't seem to get anything done. And then I start talking to them and I say, okay, do you set unrealistic standards for yourself? And they say, yes. And I say, Mm -hmm. okay, are you very critical of yourself when you do not reach these standards? And oftentimes they say yes. And I said, well, you're not lazy. You're a perfectionist. And there's a reason why you procrastinate. When we set the bar at unattainable levels, we can't reach that level. What happens when we don't reach that level? We berate ourselves. We give ourselves a lot of negative self-talk, which is negative reinforcement for trying anything else. That is why we procrastinate. It is not because we're lazy. It is because we are expecting too much of ourselves. (laughs) So true. So, so true. Yeah, it it is like a lot of people, including myself, have believed that it's laziness that has gotten in the way of doing things. But yeah, over time, I've realized that, you know, when you sit down and think about it, like if this particular task were simpler, if I made it less complicated for my own self, it's not anybody else expecting that out of me, I'd actually get it done. And it's quite a revelation when you learn this, right? Oh, absolutely. You are so right. I help so many perfectionists. What we do is, and I'm I'm a recovering perfectionist myself, so I've seen this from from the inside and out with my with my other clients. What we do is we see this lofty goal that seems so far in the distance, so difficult to reach, so unattainable that we tell ourselves, "Well, I can't do it." I don't have time. Why should I even start? But if we take this big lofty goal and reverse engineer it and break it down into tiny bite-sized steps, we take it from the big goal, then we create these big steps, then we take each big step and create, you know, little tiny baby steps and then let go of the goal and only focus on the first step. What do you think happens then? It's easy. It's easy to take that first step. And once you take the first step, you start building up momentum. And each step after that becomes so much easier. And that's how we work to achieve our long-term goals. That's very, very good advice. And it doesn't seem so scary anymore when you do this, right? When you break it down to little things. So having been a perfectionist yourself, you know, you probably under it wasn't easy to let go of that, right? Or even knowing where to begin. So where where is that line between being good 
but not having to be perfect because that is the fear i feel like a lot of us we we don't think being perfect is actually perfect we think of being perfect as oh it's good if it's not perfect it's not even good right so where do you, how do you draw that line how do you uh, differentiate between the two so i really like that question because the biggest myth about perfectionism is most people mistakenly believe that perfectionism is a healthy motivator right if i don't expect these lofty things out of myself then i am going to get lazy i'm not going to going to achieve as much so i can't let up i have to stay on myself and be hard on myself to get more done it's really the opposite that is true perfectionism can make you feel unhappy with your life it can lead to depression anxiety eating disorders and self harm and eventually it can lead you to stop trying to succeed even mild cases can interfere with your quality of life your personal relationships your education and your work so the first thing that i really help clients with is letting go of their understanding of perfectionism that i've got to hang on to this way of treating myself to ever get things done so we really start to work on this shift from being hard on yourself insulting yourself beating yourself up to finding self compassion and sort of being your own best cheerleader and when that happens it's really kind of this amazing shift where it's so much easier to get things done because we're not on the back end of it hitting ourselves over the head for not being perfect yeah that's true and i think you know i'm i'm sure you've seen this in many cases it not only are you nicer to yourself when you let go of perfection but i do believe that it makes you less judgmental right because if you are trying to be too perfect and trying very hard to make things be a certain way do things a certain way so you're putting yourself like you said through a lot of emotional distress without even realizing you're doing it So then if you see somebody else not doing it in that way you're going to judge them. So have you seen you know do you have any stories where that aspect of the person when they stopped expecting perfection or pressurizing themselves to do things in to match up to a certain standard do they also become relaxed around others? Yes, yes, you are so right. There are three types of perfectionists. You can be any one of the three types you could be two you could be all three and oftentimes you know the most common is self-oriented perfectionism when we expect it out of ourselves but there is other oriented perfectionism where you expect perfection out of others and it can be very very difficult on relationships and quite frankly i mean i can tell you a personal story about that Perfectionism is often driven by the thought I'm not enough. Right? And when you feel like you're not enough, you keep trying to prove to yourself that you are by doing more. So oftentimes when you're a perfectionist, it's difficult to ever relax because you're always telling yourself there's something more that I could be doing. And I've been married for 26 years now. but it wasn't until the last few years that i realized 
what I expected of my husband in our relationship because of my perfectionism. It drove me crazy when he could just relax and do nothing on the weekends. He works very hard all week long. We have three kids. My husband was most of the time helping me, was most of the time doing something for our children. But if he ever took 15 or 20 minutes to sit down, to close his eyes, to read a book, I had the thought, I didn't always say it, of course, but I had the thought, why does he get to rest when there's always more to be done? (laughs) Well, it's because he's not a perfectionist. It's because he doesn't have the thought about himself. I'm not enough. I must always do more. And it took me years and years and years into my marriage to realize that was not his problem. That was most definitely my problem. So now I work on scheduling time for myself to relax, to kick back, to basically do nothing. And I'm much happier with him doing whatever he wants when he wants to do it. You know, that's so beautiful to hear this because it also gives hope that when we work on ourselves, it doesn't matter how old the relationship or how much of resentment or other things are built up inside. There's always that, right? Every relationship you're growing, you're, there are things that build up, there's history, there's so much. But when you work on making yourself happier and, you know, caring for yourself more, prioritizing yourself you can actually help to let go of so much of baggage that the relationship carries. And it gives hope to people that, yes, there is, there is a way to work things out in many cases. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, when you take care of yourself, you know, I work with clients on eight domains. I say we have eight major areas of our lives. And the most important one is mental, your own mental and physical well-being. And oftentimes, and I'd love to hear your take on this and with your culture and your background, but oftentimes in the United States, especially in the South where I live, women have this idea that they must always care for others. They should always be doing something for someone else. And what this leads to is a lack of self-value, a lack of self-care, and we run on empty all the time and we're not our best best selves and we're not our best selves in our relationship and how we take care of others. So it's very important to realize that if you don't care for yourself, if you are not treating yourself with the same kind of value that you put on others, that you're not going to be able to show up for others how you want to show up. How do you see that in your country, in your in your culture? Wherever there's patriarchy, this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> right? So yes, even in our culture, I mean, I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen this happen with my own, you know, my mother or my aunts or my grandmothers. I've seen them putting others first, you know, and they teach you, they try to teach you to put yourself first. Yes, but then when you're watching them put others first, somewhere at the back of your mind that gets drilled in your, in your head, right? So when you grow up thinking that's the way I should be too. And uh, it is changing though, you know, I, more awareness is coming and people are realizing that, yes, it is important to put themselves first and more of us are speaking about it 
we are trying to get the messages out there these these self care self empowering messages out there and catch them young so that they don't even get into the cycle of putting others first <laughs> things are changing but it's taking a lot of time to do that and it's important for all of us to keep speaking about this because i truly resonate with what you said that if you aren't filling your cup first how can you love others yeah exactly and it's such a hard thing to change right because it's not just our words it's the behavior that we model mm. that's so important and like you said when we have generations and generations that have come before us that see things differently and we see their behavior it's hard not to get that message. So um, I'm glad to hear that it it is slowly changing for the positive and, and it is here too. It is just slow. Mm, it is very extremely slow because, you know, we, we speak about these things, uh, but in the end, sometimes we might catch ourselves doing exactly the opposite. Even after knowing things, even after being able to clearly put it into words and say that, you know put yourself first before everybody else but somewhere you don't realize you slip into that you know the the patterns and you you're like you know suddenly i sometimes i find myself doing something and i'm like hey wait what why am i doing this why am i putting someone else first and i don't realize i'm doing it i have to catch myself so uh, there is quite a long way to go oh yeah absolutely and that's where especially as perfectionists um we have to really practice flexibility and forgiveness for ourselves. Perfectionists are most often driven by the fear of making a mistake. So no matter how small or how large we see the mistake, a mistake is a terrible thing in our lives. And it's and it's because we're very rigid with ourselves and unforgiving. So I often work with clients about finding that flexibility and forgiveness, moving farther from that black and white, all or nothing thinking, right? It is either this or this. Mm. It's never this and this and never any shades of gray. So that's something that we really work on so that we can find that flexibility and forgiveness when we do slip back into an old pattern. And that's why I call it recovering perfectionism. It still happens to me, even though I'm aware of it. So I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you're talking about the black and white and gray, but there's actually a whole rainbow there, which, you know, we just ignore many times. We miss out many times. So, yeah, there is so much. And Talking about uh, forgiveness, again, that is something, how how do you suggest, like, how do you help people do that? Like, okay, now they've realized they're being, they're being obsessive about being perfect and therefore it's getting into the way of their happiness. So they're working towards letting go of that. But in the process of that, if they slip up, so how do you suggest they forgive themselves or is there any, any specific advice you have for them? Yes. So it really goes back to what we were talking about earlier with reverse engineering. You know, mm -hmm. perfectionists spend so much of their time focusing only on the goal and the results that they want. So you're really not being happy and not loving your life 90 to 95% of the time until you get the result you want. If you don't get the result you want, you're extremely disappointed and upset, 
If you do get the result you want, you sit there for maybe a minute enjoying it, and then you're on to the next result. So what I really work on for myself and for other perfectionists is that reverse engineering process, finding the steps, making sure that your goals are actually based on what you value, what's important to you, then reverse engineering into the steps or the process that it's going to take to reach the goals, then let go of the goal. And if you focus only on the process every day of doing the steps and living that process, and at the end of the day, celebrating the fact that you live the process, not waiting on the result, not waiting on the end game, but just focusing on did I live my values today? Did I live my process? Then a perfectionist can go from enjoying only about 5% of their time to being happy with themselves most of the time. Hmm. That's, that's very good advice. Taking it a day at a time or the, that living in the moment, that's really, really, um, that would really, really be helpful uh, to someone to go through this. I believe if you do this and in the end, even if you don't get that result, right? If you don't get the result that you, it doesn't feel wasted all the effort. Exactly. And I think that's why we are so rigid with ourselves when we're completely result and goal oriented. It's because you've put all your eggs in that basket and that's what you've been waiting on. But if you spread those eggs out or or whatever analogy you want to use into a little bit each day, there's not this disastrous ending. So really being process focused every day There's never this great sense of, I've wasted my time. And perfectionists, there are two things that we really hate to waste, time and money. And we don't mind spending our time intentionally, and we don't mind spending our money intentionally, but the thought of wasting them is just unbearable. So feeling, thinking at the end of the day that no matter what happens, I've lived my process, I've lived what I value, then I have not wasted my time. And that does help keep you in the present rather than being future focused on your goals all of the time. You know, you were talking about wasting time, but again, the definition of waste there, you know, that also needs to be really worked on, right? That needs to be redefined. How do you help people do that? Like they they don't have to do anything at all and still it's not a waste of time. How does somebody come about with that kind of a mindset? It's really focusing on the eight domains of our lives and getting clarity on what my client values. What does this person want to be known for? What does this person think is the most important thing in the world when it comes to this particular domain? For instance, if I value my mental and physical well-being, what does that mean to me? It means that I'm going to be intentional about the food that I put in my body. I'm going to be intentional about making time in my day for movement and for exercise. And if my relationships are important to me, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my children, then I'm also going to have time in that day 
dedicated to them, whether it is taking my son to a doctor's appointment, whether it is making his lunch, whatever it is that day, I'm going to carve some time out of my schedule to dedicate to them. So then I get to the end of that day. If I have lived my values when it comes to my own mental and physical well-being, if I have been the person that I wanted to be in my relationships and given of myself in the way that I want to give of myself in those relationships, then I get to the end of the day and I have lived my process. I can feel good about myself. I feel good about living my values. And that's all that I need now. It's not a particular result. How the day went that makes me feel like I have spent my time well. It is the the values that I've spent my time living. Hmm, that's quite a bit to contemplate on. It's very beautiful, the values. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, so Catherine, is there, you know, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Anything else that you'd like to share with people before we close up? I do have another quick story. Yeah, sure. So the same year that I was about to finish my program when I thought I was going to have to quit before that speech, it was a couple months later. It was really only about a week before I was scheduled to graduate. I took my son to the state swimming championship to swim in. And it's this big um, swim facility at a major university here. And it was full of people. The deck space was scattered with young swimmers that were in middle school and high school, and every seat was taken by parents and grandparents and people in the crowd, and it was electric, and it was loud, and it was exciting. And I was scrolling once again on my phone to try to figure out what time my son would be in the water for his event, and the crowd was going crazy, and people were getting to their feet and everybody was clapping and whistling. So I looked down at the pool to see what was going on. And it was kind of an odd thing to see. There was one swimmer who was very far behind everyone else in the pool. Yet that's that was the swimmer that everyone seemed to be cheering for. Mm -hmm. It only took another second for me to realize why. This swimmer had one arm and no legs, no legs whatsoever, all the way up to the bathing suit. There were no legs. And this swimmer swam four lengths of the pool, finished under two minutes. And it was really the most amazing sight that I had ever seen. And just when I thought that that swimmer could not be any more amazing He pulled himself out of the pool without any assistance with his one arm. And all I could think about was how my brain had been telling me since I was seven years old that I didn't need to join the summer swim team because I couldn't swim well enough. I had two arms. I had two legs. I had no physical disabilities whatsoever, yet my brain kept telling me that I couldn't do it. And all I could think about was what that young swimmer's brain must have told him along the way and how he overcame it and chose not to believe it. So I would like to leave all of your listeners with that story to say 
dig down and see how your brain is trying to limit you, whether your brain is telling you the truth and what you can do in your life if you choose not to believe the limiting beliefs that your brain is sharing with you. Wow, that was quite a powerful story. And yes, that that definitely drove the message home. (laughs) I can just picture it, the whole thing that you said. You know, it really goes to show that, yes, you know, it's it's always mind over matter. It's always that. And if you, if you actually stop listening to the negativity, it's the same brain which has the power to actually pull you through so much more than you can even imagine, right? Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I completely agree. <laughs> well, Catherine, on your podcast, on, on your Imperfect Thriving podcast, uh, I know these are the kind of topics that you cover. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about what else you cover on it? Yeah, so I have guests on my show and we talk about the eight domains of life and and imperfect actions that we can take every day to get closer to a more satisfying and fulfilling life. I also have solo shows where I give tips about how to get out of your own way, get past your perfectionism be more productive. And so, yeah, that's what it is. And you can find me at imperfectthriving.com, where I also have a free perfectionism course that you can take. If you think that you might be a perfectionist, it starts with a quiz that will help you know. So you can find me there and basically anywhere podcasts are found. Cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to taking that course. <laughs> That does sound great because, you know, a lot of us don't even realize we're being a perfectionist, right? Because there's somebody else around who's even more of a perfectionist. So you think that you aren't, but you need to know. (laughs) So that, you know, the quiz sounds uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, Catherine. And I hope a lot of people come over and start listening to your show too. I myself, I really, you know, I've listened to a few of the episodes and they've been great. And uh, I'm looking forward to listening to more of them. Well, thank you so much. And thanks, you know, thank you for having me here today and bringing me into your community. It means a lot. (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of The Feel Good Factor, rate, review and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform, especially Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to be notified about the upcoming episodes of The Feel Good Factor, subscribe to my mailing list on my website, veganosaurus.com. V-E-G-A-N-O-S-A-U-R-U-S dot com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Feel Good Factor. I'm Susmita Veganosaurus and I'm looking forward to talking to you again very soon. Bye!